looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. This week, I'm joined by my partner, DJ Smith, and we are in part two of our multi-part series that we're basically talking about uh, acquiring a deal, uh, acquisitions on a multifamily investment. And last week, we covered really how we found the deal, and we talked about building that, building those broker relationships to find those deals versus just looking on the marketplace to see what's available. And even if you are looking on the marketplace to see what's available, you still really need to have a relationship with that broker to move forward. Uh, so DJ, you want to touch a little bit on what we talked about last week? Actually, I think he covered it really well. Uh, broker relationships, really important uh, in terms of where we're looking and what we're doing. Uh, so we just wanted to make sure that we got some FaceTime with them, that we presented ourselves well. Yep. And probably the most important part of it is uh, learning uh, about the process of building that relationship with the broker. And in turn, as you start putting offers out there, you're basically with every offer, giving the broker feedback with every property that you're talking about, you're giving feedback in terms of what your buying criteria are, what you do and don't like. And as you continue to have those discussions with your broker, they're going to learn more about you. You're going to learn more about them. Yep, exactly. So this week, we're really going to touch on once we find a deal, what we what the next step is as far as analyzing the deal to see if it makes sense or what needs to be done to make sense for our criteria. And then if we have enough time, kind of getting into the LOI and what that is. So yeah, and Dante, to reset the series, so we did, like you said, part one last week, here was our mindset behind this or our why behind this. A lot of people that we've learned from are pretty far down the path. <laughs> They've done yeah. lots of deals. Uh, so what we want to do is just share our, our experience uh, in terms of what we're going through. Uh, this is real. We're getting into all the granular detail of it. Uh, and just try to share with people that are also moving along the same path, as well as for people that are interested in investing with us, let them know that we're doing the hard work that it takes uh, to make sure that we are putting our investors first. And that's the most important thing that we can do. Uh, for people that want to invest with us, we need to first and foremost, protect their money. And secondly, grow it. Yeah, exactly. You had it pretty well. So Kind of picking up where we left off last week, this relationship with this broker brought us this deal pre-market, no data with the deal, basically no OM, no photos. Uh, we really just had the numbers and did our research. So a, a few things we should mention that we do once we find a property that we think we like, if it meets kind of the criteria that we have, is we're going to go to some crime maps, uh, you know, the justice map, we're going to do Google Street View. And we're going to look at the area first. Before we really even look in the property and dig deep into it, we're going to look at the area. Because if it's a high crime area, uh, if there's lots of issues going around there, no growth, no development, and, and really you know, no good stores, uh, grocery stores, entertainment, or anything of that nature in a good distance, 
we, we won't even go to the next step. And because location is probably one of the most key pieces, obviously crime being, I'd say number one, and then looking at the, uh, that immediate population, the one, the three and the five mile uh, household or medium household uh, income is another thing that we do look at. Um, once we look at those and they look good, they don't make us nervous. And we see, you know, good things happen in that area. We're going to Google street view. We're not seeing trash all over the streets and, it, and it's a nice area. Right. And Dante, can I, can I qualify good? Yeah. Yeah. Go because ahead. yeah, because good for us is not uh, class A properties. Correct. We're not right. looking for stuff in the hottest areas of Charlotte. We're also not looking for distressed. Uh, right. it, there's a, a lending element there with regard to the types of loans uh, that we're trying to secure for that, that quote unquote cheap money. Uh, we have to assure a certain occupancy. Uh, so we are certainly in value add mode right now. We're not looking for uh, stuff that's too big for us to take down. Um, so, you know, not distressed, not high end. And right, right. so there, there's there's a range there in the middle. So when Dante is referring to good, that's what we're talking about is, uh, you know, we've looked at some stuff that's B minus, certainly C. Uh, I think a lot of what we're targeting right now tends to be in that C right. class with, like Dante saying, a, a neighborhood that looks like it's uh, on the edge of progress. Exactly. And so th this is definitely a C-class deal. This is a 1970 build. And we'll get into what the neighborhood looked like once we you know, get to that point in the deal. But uh, you know, first, location, location, location. You hear it all the time. That's the first thing we look for. And if, you know, if we're not comfortable in that area, why would our investors be comfortable in that area? Why would tenants be comfortable in that area? They wouldn't be. So we don't only have to convince ourselves of the deal or the lender. We have to convince the investors. And I don't want to say convince. It's not a very good word. Um, because it sounds like, you know, we're trying to get them to do what we want to do. That's not the correct verbiage, I guess you could say, but we're trying to show them that it's a strong project. It's a strong area and there's growth on its way. Um, so what we'll do then is after we do that, we look at that data, then we're going to ask for the financials, the T12 and the rent rule. The T12 is a trailing 12 of all the expenses of the property, how it's operating. Um, and the rent rule is also going to break down who's in what units, what unit count, how many one beds, how many two beds, uh, what the rent is, the security deposit, who is delinquent or behind on rent. And we're going to basically compile all that data into our spreadsheet we made. So th the thing about the spreadsheets, I'll get into that real quick. You know, Michael Blanc has one, uh, you know, Joe Fairless, there's a bunch of investors or syndicators out there that have their own spreadsheet because there's not really a program you can plug in this data and get back what you want. You have to do it yourself. Um, I've taken a lot of time to study those spreadsheets as well as six or seven other individuals that have them. And I really just plucked the best of all the spreadsheets and made our own uh, hundreds of Which hours. Which is going to be a Victory Capital Group theme right? Yep. throughout everything that we do. Yep. One of the reasons why Dante and I have partnered together, it is partly due to, at least from my perspective, my past experience with business. I've been part of a, a business. It was uh, a company I really enjoyed, a field I enjoyed. Um, back, you know, everyone's heard me talk about engineering, project management, building chemical plants. That's my last job before I decided to become a real estate investor. Yep. The reason why I point that out is we were a mid-sized firm and we lacked some of the proper tools 
to really be excellent. We were pretty darn good at what we did, but we lacked the tools to be excellent. So Dante and I, being of like mind, said, well, let's take uh, a nice sample of other people's underwriting and let's build our own with a focus on the investor. And uh, I'll tell you right now that uh, Dante's Dante quarterbacked the underwriting and what he's done with it has been nothing short of spectacular. I would say that whether I'm partners with him or not, you can believe me or not, (laughs) Uh, but we just had uh, an experienced, very experienced syndicator uh, tell us that uh, his, his quote was, Victory Capital Group's underwriting is top notch and coming from somebody who's experienced in the industry, who I'm sure is, I know for a fact is partnering with people on deals and has seen a lot of underwriting uh, to hear that within our first year was a tremendous compliment. So it's, it's not chest pounding. We want first and foremost to let other syndicators who are willing to partner up with us know that everything that we're doing, we put excellence first. We want our investors to know that everything that we're doing, we put excellence first and the underwriting is just a part of it. Exactly. Yeah. So again, kind of a reason why I went with making our own spreadsheet is because we want to see certain things in our own way. We wanted to calculate things our own way and we want to be a little bit more detail oriented than some others were. So, I mean, this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. this is an eight tab spreadsheet. And I know it sounds like an overkill, but it's really just the first three to four pages that you're well organized stuff out. Right. Yeah. yeah, It's well organized. And when we say populates, when we say our own way, we're not reinventing syndication. No, we're not moving things around these tabs and the way we've built it, uh, make it easy for those that are interested in participating in the general partnership to see their key information for those willing to invest with us, key information, expenses. It's just laid out extremely well. It's important for people to understand that maybe aren't quite as familiar with syndication. There is a lot of data to look at. I'm an engineer. I believe that data is my friend. I also believe it's that data that will protect our investors. And I feel like we have the right output, inputs and outputs, from that data to tell a story about a property. Yeah, and the, and the numbers do tell the story at the end of the day. So there's a particular purchase price they were looking for. Um, they really actually want some to assume the loan. So this uh, this group ran out of funds by year three and they put on a very long-term loan, which personally I don't even think should have been put on the property in the first place. It's a very expensive loan type. And they were saying, okay, at this price, you can buy it and take over the loan, AKA assume the loan and move forward the property. The problem with that is the rate was two points higher than what it currently is. The prepayment penalty fees were very high and there's no more interest only periods on this property. And they haven't even executed the full value add on this property yet. So we said, okay, we'll pay a little bit more to eat up that prepayment penalty fee, but still what makes sense for the numbers. So we were below the the total number they wanted, but we still came in at what we felt was comfortable. So again, we took that T12, those expenses, we dumped it in, we analyzed the rent roll, what the numbers were, and then we used, you know, we, we, we started shopping basically is what it comes down to. So things like property taxes, we're going to call the uh, assessor, talk with them, uh, insurance, we got insurance quotes, property management, management quotes, uh, trash removal, landscaping, 
you name it. We, we started to go out and shop these quotes so we can figure out what our numbers are going to be instead of just making assumptions. Some of the things, you know, turnover, repairs and maintenance, you know, you have to make assumptions based off of what other properties in this area, in this class are doing and you move forward with those. And so, you know, we, we spend a few hours going back and forth with this and then we figure out the comps. I think this is the biggest one. And DJ, I really think you should touch on this as you're the go-to guy on it. Yeah. And before we swing over to comps, what uh, I also want to convey is Dante mentioned all the reaching out that we're doing to confirm expenses. And, and quite frankly, we know where expenses for specific line items should be for a property of this type. Exactly. Yep. But the other thing that we're doing is not just confirming our, our guidance or rule of thumb or what we know is typical for this property by going out and obtaining quotes and talking to property managers and so on, we're continuing to build relationships. So it's an extension of the team building that we started with the brokers. Um, and it's, it's just really important that you get the lay of the land because I'm quite sure there are property managers in every area that are really good in others that are not so good, we need to hit the ground running. As soon as the LOI is signed, letter of intent is signed, which we're gonna to get to, but it's important that we hit the ground running with established relationships and an established team. So swinging back over to the comps, we don't want to take anyone's word for comps. When we're talking comps, we're talking two things. We're talking about sales of multifamily properties, which help us understand for the type of property we're acquiring, in this case, Class C, uh, you know, in a growing area, uh, we're looking at dollars per door. How much should we be paying for this property overall? Right. But, but the real detailed work goes into how much income can this property produce? So we talked about expenses and all of these line items, which I'm basically saying you know, it's not a fixed cost. You can certainly mismanage and spend too much on expenses. And you can also right. go the other way. You, you can be too cheap and your, your, your property will become distressed or, you know, some other negative things will happen. It will deteriorate and so on. That's probably a whole other episode and I don't want to go down that path. But in general, your expenses should be controllable. What we're now focusing on as the next piece of this puzzle is the income the property can generate. Where yep. are their rents now? And what can we find for similar properties that are, apologies, I didn't put my phone on silent. Uh, what can we do for uh, similar properties? So we look for properties that are within 10 years of when our subject property is built. And ideally, we're not just finding properties within 10 years of when our subject property was built. We're also finding properties that uh, have been renovated. Right. So our property, the one that we're currently looking at, uh, has just a small portion of the units that have been renovated. We see what rents that they're looking to charge. But we want to know what the market rents are going to be. Because certainly in the value-add plan, our plan is to go forward and renovate apartments to drive income into the property. Yep. So there's a couple of different ways I can go here, Dante, but what I'll, I'm gonna do is just stick with the rents that we find because 
in a lot of cases, you're having to, again, pull in and navigate a lot of data. When we're looking for smaller apartment buildings, less than 100 units, not all of that data is readily available. Uh, so we uh, often have to do the, the secret shopper approach where we're calling property management companies, figuring out what those rents are. Uh, and all those are basically to establish our income number, which also goes into our underwriting. So there's, there's a lot of work that we do uh, to determine that number. There's a lot of work that we do to check out the neighborhood and make sure that this is a place that we want to be. Exactly. So you're, you're mentioning DJ, you know, 10 years plus or minus is what you're looking at for comps. Tell us just real quick, a few other characteristics you're looking for when you're looking at comps and then what you do with that data. Yeah, I think one thing we found out early on is when we're looking for these smaller properties, one of the first things we were doing was spending a lot of time on amenities, and that was a little bit of a waste of time. Now, we still look at community amenities, but the reality is when you get into these smaller apartment buildings that we're currently targeting, they don't have much. Right. <laughs> and that's some of the value add that we can bring, maybe put in a playground or a little fenced in area for dogs and so on. But the big thing is finishes inside the apartments. Uh, we are looking for, you know, how big or small are they? How many beds and baths? What type of condition that they're in? Uh, and then some of the little things, do they have an open floor plan? Do they have washer dryer hookups? Uh, you know, there's, there's not a ton of variation in apartments, but some of those things can make a big difference for some people. Yep. Um, is there on-premise laundry if they don't have laundry hookups inside the rooms? Uh, so what we try to do is just get a feel of our comps when renovated, what will they look like compared to what's out there on the street, and also make sure we're providing quality housing that meets a tremendous need. With everything that's going on in real estate, there's a tremendous need uh, for these value-add apartments that are out there. Yep, I agree. So not to get too much into the weeds with the numbers, but let's just kind of talk about that real quick. So unit breakdown, you've got 12 one ones, you've got 24 two ones. That's one beds, one baths, two beds, one baths. Uh, the one bed, 647 square feet, the two beds, 900 square feet. So something we looked at and something we pulled from the rent roll is the one bedrooms have an average of $563, call it, uh, of average rent. The two bedrooms, they're at an average of about 664, 665. That's currently in place. After going through our comps data with DJ and figuring out what we can get these rents to by year two, because we do foresee it's going to take two years to you know, fully bring in all these renovations, these changes, let leases uh, expire, renovate the units and find new tenants for them. We were able to predict that the one ones will have a rent premium after renovated of 720 and the two ones have a rent premium of 845. So if you're looking at the difference there on the one bedrooms, that is about $157 premium from the difference. And then the two bedrooms, you're looking for a difference of about $181. So how do we come up with these numbers? Again, looking at the comps, the square footage approach. So typically you're looking at price per square foot. So, you know, one ones were sitting at 87 cents per square foot, two twos are sitting at 74 cents per square foot. You know, again, we're looking at the comps and seeing what they're doing per square foot. And, you know, we're not just jumping up to the top or hitting the medium. 
we're, we're hitting a little bit below what that medium price per square foot is because we don't have the amenities that these other larger guys have. Yeah, we want to make sure that we are uh, conservative with our underwriting. Now, I want to address being conservative because you can also be overly conservative. What we don't want to do is pile conservative assumption on top of conservative assumption. If we do, we will never make a deal work. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that's why it's important to get into the data, let the data tell the story. Uh, we can certainly round down some, make sure that we're protective. Uh, so for instance, if we find uh, two ones, in other words, two bed, one bath apartments of a little bit larger size, and there's a, a good representation of them, maybe some larger, some smaller, like Dante saying, we will look at it on a per square foot basis, what we feel like we can charge for our units. Um, we also look at what's the min, what's the max, the median, the average, uh, and there has been no building that we felt justified in saying we can go for the max. Now, is the max possible? There's a lot of upward pressure on rents right now. Right. So it may very well be possible. Building costs are high. Single family homes are getting more expensive. More people likely are going to be pushed into rental properties. And there's some huge projections right now for uh, year over year increases in rents. Uh, but we are not factoring that into our underwriting. We're still, and that's what we mean by being conservative um, and putting in a, a reasonable increase into our underwriting um, and just see where that lands. So we, we also don't tweak uh, the number to match the outcome with every step of the underwriting. What we're doing is looking at investor returns as we plug in numbers. Yeah, exactly. Putting the investor first every step of the way. Yeah, and that's so true. And, you know, to get to those rent premiums, we say, how much is that going to cost roughly? We have an idea of a price per unit of how much that renovation is going to cost. And that's also going to go into our numbers. So for this project, you know, we were aware that it needs some work. It has deferred maintenance. The seller has done a very bad job at basically upkeeping the property and making it look good. And so that's where the value can be added. So we budgeted about $450,000 for renovations, which is roughly, uh, what's that? It's about $12,500 per unit. Now that doesn't mean we're gonna go and put $12,500 in each unit because one, six are already renovated and two, that counts for interior and exterior. So we're gonna put about 8,000 per unit in the interior and then the remaining amounts about that 4,500 on the exterior. Uh, and we'll get a better handle on that number once we go to do the physical due diligence. So we walk the building with property, you know, each unit and the buildings with property management, contractors, roofers, foundation guys, plumbing, whoever is able to come and walk through this property with us and then give us bids, we can adjust that number. But we'd rather be too high than, than too low because we always wanna have capital left over that we can distribute to the investors and ourselves as investors. So, you know, again, we're gonna go back, we're gonna take that data, all of those comps, we're gonna dump it in, we're gonna make our assumptions, we're gonna get quotes, we're also gonna reach out to our lenders and see, hey, we know in this market really what we can get, but we wanna confirm what are we getting interest only? What are the rates you're seeing right now? 
what do you think we can get loan to value on this property based off of the purchase price? Because we can't just get 80% loan to value on anything we want. We cannot. The property has to hit a certain debt, debt service coverage ratio that will allow us to get as high of leverage as we can. And on this one, you know, 75% is safe. We're shooting for 78%, but we're hitting 75% to be conservative and safe. Um, yes. Yeah, so what we have talked about thus far uh, is the expenses, how we went through the expenses, how we look at the income piece. We certainly also look at other income opportunities. That's a real big thing with these apartments. Uh, but Dante talked, talked or touched on this piece of uh, how much money do we feel like we have to put into the property? Our original number was lower. Oh, yes. And then, then we went and walked the property. Yep. Uh, and Dante and I had a discussion saying, hey, this is going to need some work. So as we start piecing together the syndication picture, investor returns first. In order to achieve investor returns, we have to provide the correct NOI, net operating income. So that's basically our total income minus our expenses. So we've talked about the expenses. We've talked about uh, how or what our plan is for making estimates on how much income that we can achieve. We've also touched upon the lending piece, which is a big part of the expense picture and a major factor in how much is this property going to cost us. Uh, and when I say us, I'm referring to the team that invests in the property, the limited partners, the GP team, and so on. Yep. And all of those, those are the big pieces to the puzzle. And there's one more, Dante, which is, uh, I keep referring uh, syndication as this process of when you invest passively, like we've done, you commit your money for a period of time, you share in returns that are similar to your traditional annual average stock market returns. But then there's this, I call it pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, this yep. um, when you go to sell the property, the value add process that we're engaging in, uh, it, the idea is to drive up the value of the property and share in those returns, pay everything off, share in those returns, big distribution for everybody at the end. That's what our goal is. So Dante, you, you want to touch upon our story relative to how we're estimating the sales price or exit strategy, which would be to sell on this. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit because that makes a huge portion of how this project's going to play out. So really what we'll do is we're going to look at the cap rate that we're purchasing the property at. We're going to take you know their income, their expenses, that's going to give us an NOI or really by our sale price divided by the NOI, and then you're going to get your cap rate. But really what we're able to do is we're able to manipulate those numbers a little bit. So those expenses, we're not just going to take them at face value. You know, we're going to put in our insurance that is hard quoted that we know we're going to get and replace it with theirs. We're going to take out their payroll and put in what our property management cost is as well. You know, some small numbers like that, that we can adjust that are hard costs that we know are going to come into play day one. So day one, we know those costs are going to come through to us versus continuing trail on. And what we'll do is we'll see that cap rate. In this case, you know, the, the number that we took we are comfortable with knowing that this property was being underutilized and there's a lot of value add component that brings up that number. So we take our uh, entry cap rate and we're going to look at the market itself and say, okay, we plan on holding this property for five years. 
what do we think the market's going to look like in five years? What has it been doing in the previous five years? What is the current trend and what is going to happen? So, and while we're also going to talk to property managers, brokers, and other operators in the market to get their feedback. So depending on the property, the asset type uh, or class, I should say the vintage, you know, maybe it's five basis points, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 25 basis points increase per year. And that's going to, you know, you're going to increase your cap rate by that many basis points annually. As your cap rate goes up, your price goes down. So the school of thought there is we never want to assume that the market's going to continue to compress and get better. We want to assume it's going to go the other way, worst case scenario, and we'll still be able to hit our numbers because if we're going backwards with our cap rate, we're going up, which makes us think that the purchase price is going to go down based off our NOI. And let's say the cap rate stays the same or it compresses even more. It's a home run of a deal at that point. We blow our projections out of the water by, you know, twofold. And we can almost double those projections by what's going on with that cap rate. But we're also realistic about those numbers. So for this property here, I forgot what rule of thumb we use for basis points. But again, we talk to operators in the area, our property manager, and we said, you know, what do you think is going to happen in this market? We also made assumptions. This market that we're going to be in, this North Carolina market, we think it's going to continue to be, you know, we're bullish on it. We continue to think it's going to be strong. Now, if this deal was in New York or like Ohio or, you know, Connecticut or California, that'd be a totally different story. We'd probably double the cap rate almost, it feels like, in five years. And that's just being realistic. And we're also thinking about politically what's going to happen with the nation or the state, for example, as well, and what has happened in the past. Once we get that number, we're going to plug it in. It's going to tell us what we can sell this property at. And now there's a second step to this. We're based off our NOI and putting in this cap rate, it's going to tell us what our sale price is, AKA our sale price per unit. And we're going to look at that sale price per unit and we're going to say, is that realistic or is it not? And in this case, I said, I don't think it's realistic. I think it's you know about 15,000, 20,000 per unit too high than I think we could sell in five years. So now we, you know, reevaluated, kicked that number back and we discovered that, you know, this new number that we put in, again, try not to get too in the weeds with the numbers, just talking about uh, references of what we think that can be. So, you know, we had to cut back a little bit in some spots as far as um, our fees for putting the deal together. You know, it was one acquisition fee. We cut it back a little bit. We had the split. The LPGP split was in the 60s and uh, 40s we adjusted it a little bit higher to 70s for the limited partner and 30 for the general partner. And we did this to make sure we're hitting those investor returns. Cause again, it comes back to hitting those returns that are important for our investors. So now we, we have the whole picture. We know exactly what it's going to look like. We have our quotes. We, we you know, we have our, our comps. We know what our exit cap rate is going to be all of our fees, all of our percentages. We know all of our closing costs and what our costs are going to be. And then we're going to come back after we physically, because we haven't physically walked the property yet because, you know, it's not like these properties are two minutes away, they're hours away. So we make sure we have everything lined up before we take the trip out there. We bother the broker, we go and bother the tenants, get with the property manager. We want to make sure everything's in line. And, yeah, and part, part of that was because of how and when we found out about the deal. So in yep. this particular case, it made sense for us to collect information first. There are certainly times where uh, we may be going out to meet with a broker and they'll say, hey, and it actually happened when I went to look at this deal. The broker said, got another property for you to look at. We didn't have any information on it. Right. So sometimes we may walk a property first just because that's when the opportunity presented itself. We certainly love the idea of doing both in tandem, 
this one here, it just made sense to do a lot of the information collection first, spend a couple of days doing that with the idea that we were going to quickly get out there once we see that the property is going to start checking the boxes. Exactly. And, and no two deals are the same how we go about them. Sometimes they'll be they'll have tour dates. Sometimes, like DJ said, we just happen to go see it when we're seeing another property and we have no info on it. It's just it's all going to be different. And that's how this one laid out, especially because it was pre-market. We also wanted to be very respectful. We didn't just want to, you know, barge right in, check out the units. Da, da, da. You know, we wanted to make sure things made sense. So after and I'm only I don't we're not even going to get into LOI today because I want to spend a little bit more time on that. That'll be another part, DJ. Yeah. Um, but after that LOI gets accepted, then we make that property visit. And then we head back to this analyzer and we make our changes. Okay. And that's, that's what drove the change to what we felt we had to put in for CapEx. Right. For that repair budget. I mean, mm -hmm. we changed it by 150,000 and we'll get mm -hmm. into that again next week on next week's episode, but it, it paints a picture. The numbers paint a picture for the project and you just have to kind of put everything together to have them make sense and having a, a spreadsheet. I know as, as nerdy as that sounds, having the spreadsheet that all the numbers work together is what's going to make or break your project and doing the research, picking up the data, picking up the phone, talking to people, getting quotes, getting numbers to make sure everything meets properly. And, you know, we also spent a lot of time talking with property management and they underwrote the deal and we would hop on calls and kind of talk to them about assumptions and, okay, you know this property, you know this area, what does it need? What do we need to do to make sure this is successful? And, you know, real quick, before we end this episode, let's just touch on the value add points this deal had. Um, uh, Dante, I, I want to hold the thought on that just for one second, because yep. you mentioned a huge piece of this. We said, we keep saying we're going out, we're getting all this information. Yes, we're talking to people, but th those conversations we're having like with local property managers, that's confirmation. It's confirming our numbers. It's confirming our right. estimates. That's our quality control check. When we reach out to experts that will have a hand in this property, once you know PSA is done and we're closed, uh, those teaming relationships, we touched on this in the beginning of the episode, are huge. Because if we have a poor assumption, we want to know now. <clears throat> Dante mentioned how we... He used the word manipulate a little bit earlier. It made me quiver a little bit. But what we're really trying to continue to convey is investor returns first with everything that we do. So what's the smart thing for us to do relative to our investors? Show solid, typical returns on a syndication deal, numbers like 8% cash on cash, 15% IRR, and so on, or do we show something higher and have ourselves exposed and at the risk of coming in lower? What we'd rather do is show very reasonable, typical returns, put together a good business plan. And that's yep. really what we're doing is we're driving the business plan right now. How are we going to achieve these goals and these returns? We want that question answered going in and make sure then that whatever numbers we put out there, we can deliver. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and if everything goes well, right, we, we exceed them and it's a home. Run. Right. We're going to over deliver under promise and over deliver is what it comes down to. Yep. Um, real quick, again, before we end the episode, just kind of talk about value add aspects on this deal. Biggest one, you know, they ran out of money. They need a new operator. They only renovated six out of 36 units. That leaves 30 units that are unrenovated. Uh, landscaping has been let go. So you have that exterior 
look to the property that needs to be brought up. Uh, a big one is submetering. So water submetering has been put on in the units, but has not been capitalized at all. They have not captured any of those dollars for submetering. So there is about a $16,000 NOI difference to your bottom line. So all those aspects are what we're seeing as value add and how we can add value to this property, therefore forcing the property value and uh, forcing the returns essentially is what it is. Yep. DJ, anything else on this episode before we head out? No. And we, we also try to look at some uh, other really small things relative to, uh, you know, we had mentioned earlier playground. Can we put in a fenced air area for pets? Uh, this property is kind of unique in that it has a little bit of land uh, that extends, I'll call it a peninsula off the property that's wooded. Uh, so ideas for what we can do in there, uh, maybe just fence it off. Like I said, clean out the underbrush and make it a, you know, the dog bark park area or, or something like that. So we always try to look for some features. I, I personally don't like properties that are really landlocked uh, right. where all you have are building and parking lot. Uh, certainly a hazard relative to kids um, and doesn't really give you the opportunity to do anything uh, that you want to do in terms of doing some nice outside features. We're in the Carolinas. Uh, this property's in the Carolinas. So, you know, taking advantage of some of the nice weather and being able to get outside the apartment, I think is a big deal. Yeah. And, and talking about location a little bit too, like we started in the episode, you know, again, we'll probably get into that more in the LOI when we go and visit the property. We talk about that, but gated communities north and south of us, you know, great areas all around. And we'll get into that next week. That's kind of just a little sneak peek of what we're going to be talking about. Thank you guys for joining in and another week of the episode. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.